good morning. We have conversations with in-house legal professionals about all kinds of things, personal, professional, career aspirations, because in-house lawyers are humans. They have interests, they have passions, and yes, they do quite a lot of work. Um, I Many of my guests are referred by you. This is one of those guests. Um, if you have other recommendations, definitely um, message me or write to me and let me know because I would like to uh, include folks from uh, the community uh, because many of you have had fantastic experiences and they are absolutely worth sharing. Today, we're talking about mistakes. Mistakes are part of our journey. They make us who we are. They build character and in the end, they make our journey richer. And I have a very special guest. She's someone I've known quite some time. So Victoria, please introduce yourself. Hi everyone, I'm Victoria Libin. Currently for the last couple of years, I've been the uh, general counsel of a company called Bright Machines in the uh, manufacturing automation robotics space. Um, although I am soon to be uh, ending my journey at Bright Machines and joining another company, which I will reveal to everyone via LinkedIn in a couple of weeks. But it's been uh, it's been a fantastic journey and an entire exploration on the topic we're talking today because the company's had some very high highs and some very very low lows, and in the process, it's been a learning experience. Yeah, isn't that what happens at startups? <laughs> I now have been in, um, you know, as, as an in-house lawyer, as a general counsel, as a business professional, and as a CEO. And I can assure you that they all have ups and downs. And I think that's kind of the fun of it. Uh, Victoria, you have a very fascinating journey. Um, how, how did you get to, you know, I guess your current positions? Because you're ending one, beginning another where have you been? Uh, what was that journey like? So the journey was one of, you know, keeping an open mind, taking the positives uh, and the learning experience of every position I've had and not letting myself get discouraged. You could say that when I graduated from law school, which was UC Hastings in 97, the legal market wasn't all that great. The dot-com boom hadn't happened yet. It was sort of maybe bubbling at that point, but really hadn't reached main stage. And the job market being tight, I ended up working for a plaintiff side um, landlord tenant and employment litigation firm, um, which was the last thing I thought I was going to do when I was in law school. But again, I tried to just learn what I could leverage, particularly the employment side experience to go work for uh, basically a outsourcing company that was placing uh, Indian, you know, H1 tech workers and tech companies, you know, once the dot-com boom started. And then, you know, went from there to a startup that seemed, you know, super hot on paper. It was an ASP now known as uh, SaaS companies and uh, was helping my boss, the general counsel, file an S1. And then 9-11 happened and then uh, a fire sale of the company happened. Uh, but again, took those learnings, leveraged it to go to Homestead, um, which was pivoting away from uh, being a basically advertising supported website hosting and development platform to targeting small, medium sized businesses. And um, successfully pivoted, they sold to Intuit for 150 million. So that was that was a nice arc because it went from basically getting out of a bunch of, you know, high priced ISP and real estate contracts during the dot com boom to actually 
restructuring all of that and then having a nice exit. Went to a gaming company called Adam Entertainment, which then got acquired by Viacom, stated Viacom, and the Nickelodeon Games Group for several years. It was a super fun job, had great mentors with Antonius Porch and Andrew Shapiro that to this day I value tremendously. And uh, eventually they decided to divest themselves of all of their gaming properties and landed my first GC position at Wide Orbit. Um, we had the CFO who was a CFO at Adam Entertainment. When I was there, while the company was great, I just realized that my passion was not in ad tech, um, that I really was much more interested in technology or doing something that was more than just serving ads in television and radio in the same way that DoubleClick did for the internet. And through some contacts, um, landed a job at Accenture where I led legal for the entire digital division. So I got to play around with up and coming technologies like blockchain, uh, quantum, AI, ML, et cetera. And again, it was always about just learning about new technologies, being mentored and mentoring people and always trying to keep a positive mindset and learning along the way. And then again, serendipity. I was at a tennis tournament called Indian Wells Professional Tournament with a friend of mine who worked at Autodesk, who had just joined Bright Machines as a chief revenue officer. And the CEO, Amar Hansball of Bright Machines, and Carl Bass, who's a former CEO of Autodesk and chairman of Bright Machines Board, were at the tournament. We started talking about lights out manufacturing and you know industry 4.0, and they recruited me into Bright Machines. Wow, what what a journey and so many sort of exciting highs, you know, going public and everything. Um, and so many cutting edge technologists, you know, like AI, blockchain, pretty early. Um, definitely pretty cool. And then, of course, quite a lot of open mind. Um, I guess when the highs are high, I guess it's sort of easy to enjoy them. But when you hit lows, how do you talk to yourself? What do you do then? I always try to think of myself about what am I learning? You know, a good example is, is Bright Machines, right? I mean, we announced that we were going to go public via a, a SPAC merger. We did everything short, ringing the bell. We had analyst day. We had everything. The deal got delayed over a very long audit because we were a spinoff from uh, Flextronics and there were a lot of related party transactions. We had a junior partner uh, at the uh, accounting firm who kept sending everything up to national but I kept just thinking, like, what have I learned? I mean, like, learned a tremendous amount about SPAC transactions, about IPO readiness, how to think about board composition, recruiting board members, and even just about what do you do when things are not going that well and you're starting to wonder about how you're going to make the next payroll because you were counting on having the funding from um, the DSPAC, you know, in your bank several months early. And I kept thinking about, well, this is not going to hurt me. You know, it can only make me stronger. It can show that I'm resilient and it can help me parlay this into whatever comes next. I'm tempted to ask what you, the one thing I haven't done is, is this pack transactions. So I'm tempted to ask what have you learned in the process, uh, but that may change the subject of our conversation. <laughs> yeah, happy to do another one of these about the pros and cons of SPACs versus IPOs versus direct listings. Um, but <laughs> I can tell you is they're a lot more expensive than a traditional IPO. And I think a lot of the premises of 2019 and 2020 are not necessarily holding true anymore after the Nicola case. 
yeah 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 it's it's uh, yeah well um one day maybe i'll do that but things are changing very quickly real time um you know i i find it very interesting when you say you know your journey is that of open mind and um you know the conversations we're having is around sort of gross mindset so let me ask you kind of you know what does gross mind mean to you and then how does the open mind play into that so to me and I, you know i'd love to hear from the audience as well what they think a growth mindset or an open mind is but to me it's it's about and adam grant in his recent book kind of i think tried to get to it it's a little bit like thinking like a scientist you know rather than jumping to conclusions it's about asking questions, wondering, you know, what if, you know, and questioning, questioning yourself and being willing to learn and changing your position, right? Not just being fixated on the way that you're looking at something or perceiving something. It's a lot about, you know, in, in, in Buddhist philosophy, right? There's a sense of what you perceive with your senses is just an illusion, right? I mean, are you so sure that what you're feeling thinking is absolutely correct is it really true or are there other possibilities that's that's a very enlightening way to think about it especially in the moment when you may be feeling quite a lot of things as you're going through whatever it is you're going through from from you know spec transaction to being acquired to expanding the company to even things like board composition um, that that is usually a very um, emotions rich event <laughs> as well. Um, so it's it's um, it's very interesting. I recently listened to a very interesting TED talk um, about how this culture really locks us away from solving and evolving, and how we we should be very conscious and how we may do this to our families and our coworkers, and and, and there's a huge danger in that. Um, what are your thoughts about that, Victoria? I mean, I totally agree. I mean, we have to be really, really careful about just being dismissive. We can learn from anything and anyone if we just, you know, reframe things a bit. And uh, there is neuroplasticity. Um, your, your mind and your ability to learn is never fixed. And you just, yeah, you have to work on it. Right. I mean, sometimes you have to question, like when you have that knee jerk reaction and your instinct is to say, though, that that can be true. No. You know, I mean, sometimes we just have that like reflex flex instinct and we have to question, like, why are we having it? Is it because we're afraid to kind of question? Are we afraid about what lies on the other side? Or is it truly because, you know, two plus two, you know, does not equal four? I mean, but again, it's that process of asking questions of others, of yourself, as opposed as opposed to just dictating. You know, I find it interesting when when you say you can learn a lot from you know anything and anyone, and um, and then you mentioned Adam Grant and sort of being a science a scientist and having sort of you know perhaps even uh, a methodical inquiry into your state and and where you are as a way to ground. And um, and kind of move forward. Do you, you know? I'm just curious. Do you have a method of how you talk to yourself? You know, how you lawyer yourself out <laughs> of, of situations? Because that's what I call when I when I find myself in that. You know, the way I talk to myself is essentially lawyering myself out of situations. But maybe maybe you 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 take a more compassionate approach. I'm just sort of curious how that conversation goes inside your head. Believe it or not, one of the best schools for me 
throughout my life in terms of facing adversity, facing problems, talking or pep talking to myself has been tennis. Um, I started playing tennis since I was a kid, played competitively. You know, in fact, even the, the theme, you know, failed better, as I mentioned to you before the talk, it was this light bulb. It's a Samuel Beckett poem. Uh, but Stan Wawrinka, uh, who's won several major tournaments, tattooed it to his arm. And, you know, the saying, which I found very inspirational and which I repeat to myself is ever tried, ever failed, no matter, try again, fail again, fail better, which means it's a bit of an iterative process. And whether it was on a tennis court when the match or wasn't going that way, you know, my way, or I was making a lot of mistakes, I kept wondering, well, why am I making the mistakes? What can I do differently? You know, to try to, and, and staying in the moment, right? Thinking like, okay, I lost the point. I made a horrible forehand error, but that's in the past, you know, right now, right here. And that's what I try to tell myself, you know, at the end of the day, maybe, you know, a transaction isn't going well or the other side's being really difficult, but I just have to give myself those pep tops of what am I learning? What's in the moment? What's right in front of me? What can I do better? How can I improve? Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And I love, you know, I'm not, I'm not really a tennis player. I, 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 um, my, my dad played and I, so I, I, I'm enough of an amateur, but I, I agree with you. Tennis is one of those sports where, um, you know, errors are made because of your state of mind, <laughs> um, much more so than maybe in others. But I think in life generally, errors are made because of your state of mind. Um, you know, related conversation of sort of difficult situation, the open mind, um, you know, approaching with the inquiries as a scientist is a sort of question of risk, you know, and how do you write the risk? How do you, like, what is your relationship with risk? And, 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 and at which point it's too much, at what point it's not enough. Um, what, how are you thinking about risk in the context of sort of, you know, difficulties in talking to yourself? So, I mean, it's always hard because I think as lawyers, right, we're always trained to try to avoid risk uh, as opposed to manage risk. And at the end of the day, in any entrepreneurial pursuit, if there was no risk, if it was a sure thing, everybody would have done it and succeeded. Uh, there wouldn't be an opportunity. So you have to you know, embrace risk in the sense of, you know, think about, you know, for me, like if I can think of the worst case scenario, right? And if nobody's gonna go to jail and nobody's gonna die and we're dealing with money, then the question is how much money and what is the probability that the worst case scenario is gonna happen? Versus, okay, if you don't take the risk and you don't do it, what opportunity are you missing? What upside are you leaving on the table? And I try to kind of literally kind of create these two columns of pros and cons and try to see if it makes sense, right? Because not all risks are worth taking, but others you should take. And then you also have to get comfortable with ambiguity because you're never going to have all the data to analyze every risk perfectly. So you're going to have to make some educated guesses. But ultimately, most risks and most mistakes are correctable, what isn't correctable and what you don't get back is the time that you spend sometimes just in fear, worried that you're going to make the mistake or what I sometimes hear called admiring the problem. 
<laughs> oh, I love that. Kind of. you, you've mentioned a couple of things. So the admiring the problem is, is a good one. Um, I'm tempted to start there, although I probably will kind of maybe um, start from the beginning. You t- talked about m- managing kind of yourself during risk. But as, as a general counsel and a house lawyer, actually, there's quite a lot of people around you. And they have different relationship with risks. Um, you know, sometimes they're more adventurous than you. Sometimes they aren't. Um, and you're holding collectively their hands and trying to cross the bridge. How do you navigate that situation of this collective? How do we all feel about this thing? <laughs> How do you admire risk collectively, I guess? <laughs> well, I think, you know, I mean, look, especially when you're dealing with deals and uh, transactions, you know, I mean, time is the enemy of all deals, right? If you spend too much time, opportunities go away. Um, but clearly, if you just jump in head first without any analysis, you can't create any guardrails or risk mitigation. So there's a balance. And I think you have to understand who your stakeholders are and what their appetite for risk is. And again, you go back to asking questions, right? You know, the CFO's appetite for risk may be a lot lower than the CEO's and, and the board, depending on the director, it may be all over the place. But ideally, once you understand each stakeholder's appetite for risk, you can maybe help guide them and kind of, you know, help them arrive at their own conclusions um, through a bit of a Socratic method and asking them questions so that ultimately maybe it becomes their decision and their idea. Um, it, you know, I'll give you an illustration. When I was at Adam Entertainment, there was a... Uh, video that went viral called This Land during the bush Kerry election. Some of you may remember it. And that video was putting Adam Entertainment in the map. Like our traffic increased by countless amounts. Our ad revenue was going up because we had a pre-roll ad. But lo and behold, we got a cease and desist from Blood Loud Music, which uh, owned you know, the rights to the composition for, uh, for Guthrie's song, This Land. My CFO immediately wanted me to take that video down. And I said, look, I'm convinced that we have fair use rights because it's parody of the song itself. I was able to contact the EFF, basically get some representation for free. She was afraid of just even the legal cost to defend ourselves. But again, I got her comfortable enough to let the video stay on. As it turns out, through former colleagues of mine from my graduate school days at Harvard, we found out that the song was published 10 years before the main publication in a pamphlet called 10 songs for two bits. So it actually turns out the song was in the public domain to begin with. <laughs> I just love that. Well, shout out to EFF. I'm a fan of EFF. And as a, as a, you know, intellectual property lawyer by design. I just love that example. Uh, not only for its gross mindset value, but for, for actual, just actual substance itself. So, yeah, we kept the video on. It got the attention of Viacom. And next thing we knew, we, we had a successful exit. So, again, had I just fallen into the CFO's fear and not helped her get comfortable with the risk, who knows where we, you know, where that would have ended and whether we would have had the exit that we had. Oh, this is such a... Um this is like a candy. Thank you, thank you for that. I love that example. Uh, it's, 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 it, it made my day, as is actually this conversation generally. Um, I have a few more questions. Um, I, wanna, I do want to talk to you about mistakes, but before I get there, and that may be a good transition, is you, know, you said many things are correctable. And that's actually a really interesting perspective. 
um, you know, you can't really break things that much. It's, it's one of the things when I brought my child home um, and my doctor said, Olga, you won't break her. Even if you drop her, you won't break her. Try not to break her. Try not to drop her. But it's like really hard. They're pretty durable. And that was really liberating that, you know, if I kind of try, there is a really good chance she'll be just fine. <laughs> um, and I think you articulated that same concept is that things are correctable and they're durable. Um, and the only thing we lose is time. That's a very interesting perspective. Um, time and maybe a bit of money, right? But, you know, <laughs> but again, you know, it's hard to tell, right? Because the question is, you might have even lost more money if you didn't act. It might be more expensive to just wait and wait and lose the complete opportunity than maybe having made a slight mistake or, you know, maybe you rushed, you know, your review of a contract a bit much and maybe you could have negotiated slightly better risk allocation clauses. But, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. The question then, too, is what did you learn? Yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's, uh, I mean, the, I, I do find that opportunity cost is something we greatly underestimate if not ignore um and 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 you're right you know you know revenue is one of those things that is often in the opportunity cost of making money that's a very interesting perspective when we talk about mistakes because we all make mistakes you know we're human humans make mistakes uh lawyers make mistakes every professional makes mistakes uh that's normal or even mistakes of others that you know, as, as, as in-house lawyers, you know, sometimes I, I feel like I'm taking responsibilities for mistakes of others. Um, in, in, in the words of, 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 of SAS, another general counsel, you know, I, I sort of apologize for not being more convincing <laughs> um, and, and, and failing to, to change the course of history because my arguments were not persuasive enough. Um, how do you um, help others? collectively as an organization forgive and move forward and all learn in the process like how does that conversation go i mean uh, i'll start with my team uh, i think you've got to lead by example right you know you can't just expect others you know and and sometimes like say it managing up is a little bit easier right i can tell the ceo cfo whoever you know my colleagues and the executive team are that look, you know, we're going to move fast and just be aware that we may miss some things. If we miss them, we'll fix them as they pop up. And as long as they understand and you set the expectations, I think trying to convince people in your team, you know, lawyers that work for you, that it's okay that you, if they make a mistake, as long as they own it and bring it up so, to your attention so it can be fixed, you know, no harm done is a little bit harder sometimes. And the trick is that when they do bring up a mistake or they say, shoot, I missed something, this is may come back to bite us, or you know what, it did come back to bite us, that you don't react negatively, that you just calmly say, you know what, it's okay, let's do a post modem, let's analyze how we can fix it, what can we do differently, maybe we have to change our contract forms, whatever it is, let's move forward, don't get upset, make them, you know, they're already feeling terrible. They're probably self-flagellating themselves. So why do you need to pile on on that rather than support them and tell them it's not going to define them that, you know, convince them that a few months from now, a year from now, they're going to look back at it and just see it as a learning experience and they'll never do it again. And that it just makes them better and stronger and wiser. Yeah. Yeah. Constructive conversations like that focused on learning 
um, forward focused, uh, with a compassion really go long ways. Um, and even if the time, you know, take them time to sort of process, I find that with colleagues who, you know, we had this conversation, they come back to me years later, sort of grateful that we um, held our hands and crossed the bridge together. Um, it's it's sort of, it's, it, it becomes something they never forget. Um, and, and really it colors their view of who you are as a professional and as a lawyer and, and how effective you are. You know, I think you've had so many nuggets in your conversation and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it and, and learned a lot. What is the one thing that you would like to leave the audience with um, as a takeaway? If, you, if they remember absolutely nothing, what is the one thing you want to make sure they definitely take with them? Don't be afraid. Fear is the worst enemy to success. Listen to your negative self-talk. Because in that negative self-talk, which I can guarantee we all do to ourselves, you'll start kind of thinking about why are you negative and you'll soon realize that most often it's fear, fear of failure, fear of how others perceive you, fear of coming across as, you know, dumb or, you know, not an expert, not knowledgeable. But at the end, like, why are you letting others judge yourself? And why are you even judging yourself? You know, we're human. So a little bit of self-love and not being afraid, I think, or, and, you know, sort of self-compassion is kind of essential um, to fail better, right? Yeah, with clients, I, um, I'm very, um, you know, I sort of assume that they may know less and I will go above and beyond to, to, to present a, a comfortable conversation and experience. But sometimes when I talk to myself, I'll take shortcuts. Um, and I, when I find myself doing that, sometimes I pause and ask myself, why, why would I treat myself any worse than the, the clients that I serve? Because in the end, I spend a lot of time with myself and that usually helps me shift. But the way we talk to ourselves is, 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 is very important because we rarely can do, can do better than what we can do with ourselves. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much, uh, Victoria. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. This has been very, very interesting and um, important. And, um, and I think all of us, no matter where we are in our journeys as lawyers, as in-house lawyers, as general counsel, we're all in a sort of also on a journey of, of, of learning and evolving and handling risks and situations of learning better. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And um, anyone who wants to reach out to me, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Happy to continue the conversation offline. And uh, it's, it's, you know, being a lawyer, I think, is a fascinating exercise, too, on, on, on self-study and getting to know yourself. And um, again, I think just take it as a journey rather than as an end result. So thank you so much for that. Thank you, everyone, for joining. I've learned quite a few things. Um, I really love Victoria's point about the open mind and not being afraid. Um, I think there's a very important conversation about cancel culture um, and, 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 and how we can really work through things and learn from anyone and anything and any experiences um, I really love the sort of 
mistakes are correctable. Ma most mistakes are correctable. And some mistakes are actually good mistakes. They lead you to a place that you would not get otherwise. Um, I, I really like that reframe of mistakes uh, as really a sort of opportunities. The conversation about admiring the problems and the time you lose doing that, that is worth thinking about. Um, that, that's a very interesting way to look at it. And most importantly, forgive yourself, forgive others, and, and help others to forgive themselves. And, and, and because situations happen and learning is something we can continue doing um, as professionals, as humans. Thank you so much for joining. As I mentioned before, uh, the guests on the show are recommended by you. So definitely get in touch with me. Let me know if there's anyone you want to hear from. Uh, I strive to show the human side of in-house lawyers. Uh, that means, you know, pretty much anything. Community aspirations, career aspirations, personal aspirations, the way you look at things and willing to share. So let me know who you want to hear from. And with that, thank you so much for joining and I look forward to seeing you soon. Bye everyone.